You're listening to Her Body IOFM with your hosts, Alex Navarro and Andrea Jangle, the women's source for optimal health and lifelong performance. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Her Body, brought to you by Body IOFM. I'm your host, Alex Navarro, and I am particularly excited about today's guest. Not that I don't love all of our guests, obviously, but this, uh, this woman is someone that I've been a huge fan of for, gosh, it feels like years now, and watching her brand grow and the the conversation that she's bringing is something that me as a coach is a conversation that needs to be have with every client before we can proceed with anything diet exercise related. And it's definitely a common theme that I see in in pretty much the majority of women, uh, some men too, but this show is about the ladies. So I'm very excited to touch upon some of the the important topics that that she she shares, and uh, so I'm just gonna take it away. Jill Coleman is here with us today. She is the uh, owner of JillFit.com, and was that previously JillFitPhysiques.com? It it was no, it was just always JillFit, but the name is now. I kind of dropped the physiques on the name, so gotcha, you gotcha. got it right. Gotcha, perfect, perfect. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. Super excited to talk about this stuff as always. So thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. It's it's what I love about what you talk about is, you know, when you first started talking about it, I loved your story about how you came about living this way. Um, one of your hashtags is moderation365, which I love. And I definitely want to touch upon what that means a little bit, a little bit more in a second. But I resonated a lot with your story and how you've kind of taken this path in your early competing years and the struggles that you faced during your competition time with sort of the the cycling of being strict and then, you know, maybe going off the wagon and, and binging a little bit and trying to fix it with exercise and that sort of hamster wheel that I had been on at one point and struggled mm-hmm. so much to get off of. Um, but the freedom I found in getting off of it and, and sort of finding that balance, which is always a work in progress, um, that's what resonated with me, your story, and, and then me being drawn to you and your authenticity, which I think is missing so much in this fitness industry that we're, we're all trying to scramble through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love that. Mm-hmm. So thank you for just being yourself and being true and honest about, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I really appreciate that. You know, I think as a fitness professional, um, sometimes it's hard to go to that authentic place because you feel like it might undermine your expertise or people might question your credibility. And what I found is actually the opposite. As long as you are competent and, you know, know your stuff, people want to see you sweat a little bit. I think there's Mm -hmm. something so powerful about uh, the resonance and the relatability of sharing the things that you feel vulnerable about. And I think anyone who says that they haven't had some kind of struggle is actually just lying. So I think, you know, I think it's, it does all of us a disservice to pretend like, you know, the ability to be quote perfect is even possible. I mean, perfection is kind of an illusion. And so for me, it's been, it's been a part of my brand to be authentic and to show, like you said, the good, the bad and the ugly, and then also kind of come with the turnaround. What do you do? What Mm -hmm. is the solution? What's the tool? Exactly. And I think that in and of itself is is probably the biggest tool. It's like, okay, shit's going to (laughs) happen. Stuff's going to come up, whether it's like, you know, work stuff, family stuff. I want to go on vacation. Everyone freaks out. What do I do? Or they've, they've, you know, fallen off or done something that isn't their norm. And they either allow that it allows them to freeze them. They don't know how to move forward. They don't know where to pick up. Um, and there's almost this, this this feeling of defeat, like, okay, well, what are, I might as well just keep doing what I'm doing. There's no point in trying to get back on track after that. And, and I love that you're able to share the tools that you use, the techniques that you use to get yourself back on track. And it's always something small and manageable, which I think that, that realistic approach is what we all need. Yeah, no, I think it's one of those things that it takes a while too. So like you mentioned a little bit about my story, you know, I think it's, I don't know if it's just 
part of being in your early 20s, or for me, it was just the perfectionist mindset of, especially if you're kind of starting to get interested in fitness and nutrition, you learn a little bit and then you go, oh, I, I wonder if I went a little bit harder, if I could get a little bit better results. I wonder if I cut calories a little more, I could get even better results. And you kind of you kind of go down the spiral of feeling like needing to be a little bit leaner, needing to be able to have a little more muscle. And before you know it, literally a couple of years later, it's all you can think about, at least for me. And so back then, the idea of small steps or moderation or every little bit counts, I mean, I couldn't even fathom those kind of moderate messages. You know, mm -hmm. for me, it was like, go hard or go home. It was all or nothing. It was, if I can't be the best, why not even, I'm not even going to try. Right. And so I think a lot of, you know, I mean, that's kind of the cornerstone of the perfectionist mindset, right? Is that we feel really threatened if anything goes wrong, if we're not that absolute perfection all the time. And if we can't get there, then we might as well not even try. And I think that's a huge trap for a lot of women. It's called like the what the hell effect. We kind of talk about that at Jill Fit. Mm -hmm. The idea that a single kind of perceived slip up on your nutrition means, well, you're just way off and you might as well, you know, what the hell, I might as well just eat whatever I want to, which makes no rational sense. <laughs> but in our minds, if we're not going to reach that goal that we set way up here, then why not even try? And it's a huge mental trap and, and a big nutritional trap that is actually not serving our goals either. Right. Absolutely. And, and not, and I think making note of, you know, we were all going to have the big goal. We're all going to have the big vision, uh, the, the end result of what we want to achieve, whether it's to look a certain way or perform a certain way, or, you know, even get a job. And it's, it's, there's the lack of paying attention and appreciating all the little wins, all the little lessons learned along the way that make then the win at the end, whether you get there or not that much more powerful. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that you kind of have to reframe how you approach it. So we always talk about kind of being able to fall in love with the process because even though there are small goals here and there like, oh, maybe I do want to get up on stage or maybe I want to do a triathlon or maybe I, you know, I kind of want to try eating paleo or like we have these little things that we like to switch up in our mind. But I think we make the mistake of feeling like um, once we get there, then we'll be okay instead of going, we're actually okay right now. It's like this combination of, um, you know, acceptance and also striving. I think a lot of people feel like, well, if I accept where I'm at right now, I won't continue to work hard or I won't go to the gym or I'll just give up or I'll just eat whatever. And that's not been my experience myself or with all of my clients. There's something to that self-compassion and that gratitude and giving yourself the benefit of the doubt and going, you know what? I wasn't perfect, but I did something today. I didn't eat a hundred percent, but you know, I ate pretty good. And I think that when you look at over the lifetime of someone who we would perceive to be, you know, in shape, healthy, like successful in that realm, it's not because they're ever perfect. It's just they're more consistent than anyone else. And so if you can be a little bit less perfect, you probably be a little bit more consistent. And that mindset shift is really hard for us to make, I think. It is, especially if you've been doing it for, you know, 30 years. It's hard to <laughs> get out of that. And A, just even recognize that you're doing it to begin with because we've been doing it for so long. It's automatic. It's not something we paid attention to or can catch ourselves doing in the moment unless it's brought to our attention. And, and we're focused yeah. on paying attention to it. It's hard, right? Because you have to kind of want to, too. I mean, I think back to when I was in my early 20s and, um, you know, I, th I don't think anyone could have said anything to me that would make me switch my mentality. I That's liked true. the fact that I was kind of hardcore. I liked the fact that, you know, I was that everyone else was doing moderation and I was like, you know, all or nothing. Like I kind of liked that about myself. And it wasn't until I started seeing that it wasn't working and I started experiencing, you know, <laughs> uh, the constant misery of feeling not good enough right. that I finally was like, okay, there's something here. And then that's when the awareness piece starts where you go, okay, maybe this way isn't the best way. Maybe there is something else. So there's that awareness piece. And then of course doing it, right, is like the thing that's probably the hardest. You can have all the awareness in the world, but how do you catch yourself in the moment? moment and right. make a different choice to feel grateful give yourself the benefit of the doubt all those things mm -hmm. agreed agreed and, and I think there's something <laughs> <laughs> so much agreed <laughs> and and mm -hmm. I I experienced that same when I, I competed in my early 20s too which um you know maybe it was for the best that I did it a little bit younger and, and got over that part but I loved the hardcoreness of it too and oh, yeah. and I liked the reinforcement that everyone else gave me about the fact that oh, yeah. I was so dedicated and I worked so hard and I <laughs> you know accomplished all the things that I wanted to and, and my conviction was there and it wasn't mm -hmm. until sa same experience it wasn't until I was miserable and struggling and felt defeated most of the time that I realized I needed to make a change 
And Mm -hmm. that change took a significant amount of time. And it's still obviously always probably going to be a work in progress. But, Mm -hmm. you know, most people aren't going to be open to even making the change until the change is easier than what they're doing or what they're struggling with. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, you know, I have a lot of women who, I think this is a kind of a control issue versus trust. And you can tell me what you think Mm -hmm. from your experience. But I know for me, when I was kind of in that very extreme place where it was either I was all in dieting down, getting lean, whatever, or if I wasn't doing a show, I wasn't getting ready for something, I was eating whatever I wanted. So it was very off and very on. And for me at those times, um, I think that it was like, I just lost my train of thought. What was I saying? I was like, agree? Oh, um, yeah, I forget, but I'm sure it will come back to me. The all in, the all on, all off. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think we've had kind of similar experiences in, mm-hmm. in that when we were younger. Oh, it's kind of like this perfectionist mindset, you know. You know, and I kind of got to the point where I started having to kind of feel – uh, I know this is kind of this kind of sounds like not PC, but I kind of had to start to feel a little bit bad for people who were still doing that. That was kind of like the thing that helped me make the switch. I almost had to value moderation more than I valued the all or nothing. I kind of had to look at people who were like carrying around a, you know, a, a gallon jug of water and eating out of Tupperwares everywhere and like taking hard boiled eggs on airplanes. Like I kind of had to start to look at people like that and go, that was, that used to be me. And I'm so grateful that I'm not doing that anymore. So that was where for me, the change happened from like being able to kind of look at the old way of doing things and not admire it anymore. I know that sounds kind of like rude or whatever, no, but in not a sense, at all. that really kind of, that's, I mean, I kind of needed to see it all as something that was almost like abhorrent to me right. to really embrace moderation and really come out strongly for that message now. I, I, I agree. I'm, I'm literally nodding aggressively over here. You can't, you can't see what I'm doing, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm nodding in agreement because I, yes, I actually experienced the same thing. And I don't, you know, when it, it, when in being in it at the moment, I felt like it was an enviable thing because, you know, I was in control. I was dedicated. I was like focused on my goal. And I had this, this awesome physique at the end to show for it, even though I was hungry and tired and smells like tan and it's just you know (laughs) and not a glamorous scenario by any means but but having the freedom to not have to do all of that and be a slave to my meal prepping and not that I don't do a little here and there but you know I I used to I was in my early 20s I wanted to go out with my friends and I did it with you know a little piece of meat in a baggie in my purse (laughs) You know, yes. I made it I made it work and it was ridiculous. And looking back, mm-hmm. I'm like, how much did I miss out on because I was so focused on that and I made that such a priority. And not that I didn't have a good experience to some extent and didn't learn a lot about myself, but the means in which I did it, gosh, knowing what I know now, that's that's what I want to help others see and, and and realize that this is possible in in a way that is manageable in your life that that creates balance that gives you the opportunity to still live and learn from it and you know it's it's always a constant it's a constant work it's constant work in progress there's there's mm-hmm. no perfection at any point yeah you know i think it does come down to the kind of control versus trust factor too like i remember you know just being in that place where you want to, you need to control everything. You need to control your environment. You need to have your food. You need to have your kitchen. You have to say no to things. You can't travel. Like a lot of that is around control. And of course Mm -hmm. we like having control, right? They've shown that people who are getting ready to do a diet are more excited about the diet than when they're actually doing it because there's like a sense of almost organization when you have a plan and there's a meat, like there's a food list and it just feels really organized and it makes you feel like, well, if I can just control what I put in my mouth, I can just control what my physique looks like. And if I control what my physique looks like, then I can control how I'm perceived in the world. If I'm loved, respected, appreciated, you know, mm-hmm. like you said, a lot of those affirmations that we start to get when our body changes and that can be addictive. Um, the opposite of control is, you know, kind of trust, so like trusting mm-hmm. to that you can go to a restaurant and make a healthy choice just because you're at a restaurant doesn't mean you need to order the bread basket and the dessert and, and booze. And like, you know, you don't have to do that. So it's trusting yourself enough to be able to navigate any situation and make a good choice. And I think that comes with having the experience, putting yourself in those situations that at least for me that was. And the first thing was not prepping my food for a week mm-hmm. and figuring it out. 
you know, and like you said, I think some food prep is important, especially if you have a family or you go to work or whatever, but like, see if you could kind of wing it for a week and not like, I think for me, that was the thing. Once I gave up food prep, I was so worried that I would be at McDonald's every meal and I would gain 50 pounds this week. And like, you know, I went down that rabbit hole, but to my surprise, I didn't. And I was like, oh, and then once I had that experience, I was like, oh, it's not nearly as scary as I was making it in my mind. And that's how you start to trust yourself a little bit more. And I think there's a misconception that if you are kind of a little bit more relaxed or a little more trusting of yourself and your food situations that you're just going to say like, screw it and you're going to eat everything. Mm -hmm. And that just hasn't been my experience. Yeah, sure. It takes some time to even out some of those highs and lows. It took me about three years to move from all or nothing to more of a moderate 365 approach. Uh, But at the same time, it doesn't actually happen that way. It does. They're not mutually exclusive. It's not like you're either fully in control or you're just eating everything. There's that middle ground, which is of course what moderation 365 is all about is sitting down and navigating that middle place every time you sit and you eat. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of scary because there is a lot of trust that needs to happen and you need to really believe in yourself that you can do it and that you're going to get also going to get results that way. And so there's a lot of mental barriers that once you start overcoming them, you're like, wow, this is so easy. I don't have to think about food all the time. I hardly even stress about it. And that's a really nice place to be. Absolutely. It it definitely is. Just it's it's almost having control in a different way. Exactly. To me, it's the ultimate in control. Think about it. Mm -hmm. If you trust yourself 100%, all the time to like you go to a friend's house, you go out to dinner, or you didn't prep your food this week, or you know what, you just, you're traveling. That's the ultimate in control. Like yep. I can do, I mean, I can go on a road trip right now with no food and figure it out. I'll go to a gas station, I'll get, you know, I'll get nuts and I'll get protein bars if they have them. Sure, that stuff's not quote ideal. It's not on a competition prep program. Right. But for me, those things keep me satiated. They keep me satisfied. And they prevent me from huge binges later. So I think that's what moderation is kind of all about is getting to the point where you're smoothing out those highs and lows, those kind of deprived moments and those binging moments. And you kind of smooth out those highs and lows and you get to this place where you eat the exact same on Saturday that you do on Monday. So, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You just go more, go b- more by how you're feeling, what you know, social situations might be coming up. And, and those especially having come from you know, being so strict when the competing days were happening and feeling like showing up at a social event or Christmas or a holiday and being scared to indulge in anything and not then focusing on that and not actually experiencing what you're there to experience, which is the people, the people that you care about, the people that you love, you're at a show, whatever it is. And I, I love feeling like I can go anywhere and do anything and know exactly how to deal with the situation. And the, the feeling of like, being relaxed and, and at ease going into those rather than stressed out and scared and worried about what's going to happen or if I eat something that I'm not supposed to is at the end. I mean, just just that stress relief, I think the results come so much easier and more consistently when we're relaxed and not in this stressed, what am I going to do state. Yeah. I mean, think about it. If you're totally fixated on, oh my God, there's going to be a dessert at this thing. And like, I can't have any, and I have to make sure I like, if you're mentally fixated on that thing that you don't want to have, if you even have a little bit of it, you're probably going to go off the rails. Cause that's how you're approaching it. You're approaching mm-hmm. it with an all or nothing mentality versus being like, not even like literally just showing up and being like, okay, let's see what's here. Oh, I might have a bite of that. Oh, I'll have a bite of that. And when you do that, you get to the point where you can have, and you know, it's hard sometimes when I talk about some of these tools, like taking a bite of things and like teaching yourself moderation, it feels very uh, like idealistic and kind of almost impossible for a lot of people. They're like, Mm -hmm. well, yeah, yeah, Jill, that's, that sounds fine. It's, it's something you can do, but I could never, you don't understand. I could never take a couple bites of a cookie. Like that just isn't me. And I want to just make sure everyone kind of knows that that was how I was too. For the first like 30 years of my life, it was all or nothing. If there Mm -hmm. was cookies in the house, I had to finish them off. If there was a bag of chips, I had to just polish it off, get it out of my, get it off my (laughs) mental plate. So I don't have to worry about it later. I did the Sunday night roundup. There was like, so for me, I operated in an all or nothing mindset for a really long time. And so, but now the idea is like, you can taste anything anytime. It's like an abundance mindset, but that Mm -hmm. takes practice. And again, trust. So like mentally fixating on like, I can't have that thing. Chances are, if you do have it, you're going to have all of it. And that kind of perpetuates an all or nothing kind of mentality. So in a sense, like you said, it is about relaxing, but it's also this like, it's relaxing, but it's also like a low level of mindfulness 
all the time and just going like, oh, I could have any of this stuff anytime that I want it. Do I really want it? It's like this low love, which is asking yourselves questions in the moment. Mm -hmm. And mindfulness feels really almost like almost obsessive because you're like, well, you're thinking about stuff all the time, but it's actually (laughs) the opposite of obsession. At least for me, obsession is like deprive or binge, deprive or binge. Those are the only two options. Um, You know, I try to think about mindfulness kind of like a low level of mental kind of automation. It's these like questions that you're asking yourself constantly, automatically things like how full am I right now? Mm -hmm. You know, out of all these desserts, is there anything here that I really would like to have a couple of bites of? Like you're just assessing and you're being discerning Right. Uh, through that level of mindfulness, and that's a practice as well. Absolutely, and that's that's actually a tool that I use for a lot of clients. If it's if I feel like it's it's fitting for them, you know, if they do happen to keep a food log, it might be more of an emotional log related to the food. So you know, yep. they eat something. How does it? How did it make you feel? Both both physically, both emotionally. How did it make you feel later about yourself? Just just someone bringing awareness to that um, it, when those moments are happening, and what are the reoccurring patterns, reoccurring thoughts that are coming up that are leading us to make those decisions, good or bad. And, you know, it's, there are plenty of times where I'll eat too much cake. It, it happens. <laughs> I yep, really like yep. cake. And if the cake's really good, I'll eat a lot of it. And at the end of the day, oh, well, I really like the cake. Um, but it's also to the point where I've tasted enough cake because I'm, I'm open to that and I'm trusting that Great. I'll make a good decision. Um, which could be eating the whole cake. Maybe that is a good decision for me that day. Um, but but right. also knowing that there's always going to be cake. Yep. And I think we, you know, I think that's it, what you said about like, you know, sometimes I might just be like, you know what, I'm going to eat the whole cake today. And like, that needs to be fine. I think there's there's freedom in owning your choice, mm-hmm. right? So like, uh, like you said, you could have mindfulness and your mindfulness might lead you to have this cake. It's really delicious. I want to eat the whole thing. Um, versus when you don't operate with a level of mindfulness, you might end up eating the whole cake and then you become remorseful, shameful, guilty. You have all those negative kind of that negative self-talk going on after because there wasn't, it wasn't a mindful choice. There was no consciousness there, you know? And so I think that's a huge distinction is just owning your choice and being like, okay, what's next? Moving on instead of living in the past. Why did I do that? I'm so bad beating yourself up. It's a huge mental distraction. Mm-hmm. from what you can be potentially focusing on today, which is what's my next meal going to be? Right, exactly. Rather than running to the gym and trying to work it off and punishing yourself right. for said yep. cake consumption, <laughs> which yep. you is know, definitely... You... <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and what you, you know, what you said was the trusting of putting yourself in situations where there is cake. There's so much utility in that. Mm-hmm. They actually show in like mindful, like when they're trying to teach people how to be mindful, because it feels really esoteric, right? It feels like really yeah. intangible, like, oh, mm-hmm. well, just be mindful. And like a lot of people don't know what that is. Right. So it's actually, you're able to, to teach someone. And one of the cornerstones is exposure therapy. You have to, so they actually in studies will take people and put them through all you can eat buffets. Mm-hmm. And it forces them to ask the questions like, oh, do I really want that? Or, oh, um, how full am I? Do I really need to go back for a second plate? Like, at, like it just helps them stay mindful. So I think there's an important point. We talk about this a lot at Jill Fit. A lot of people say, well, just get it out of your house. Just mm-hmm. don't be around it. And I think that that's probably a good kind of 1.0 step for people who are maybe just getting started. But eventually, don't you want to be able to be around cake and not have to polish it off every time. And the only way you learn how to do that is through, you know, kind of slow exposures and then staying mindful. And then over time you wake up like six months from now or a year from now, and that's just how you operate. So there is a practice to it. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. I I actually ran that, that practice through myself with almond butter because that was my Mm go-to, you know, I can only have a tablespoon that would lead to half the jar or Mm -hmm. the whole jar. And for a while (laughs) I I kept, I mean, I don't know what it is about the almond butter, but it's a very common thing. Um, Nut butter. People love peanut butter, right? I think it's almost like, it's one of those things that it's like, it feels a little bit like relief on a competition diet. Yeah. Right. Like it's kind of almost a little bit acceptable. So that feels like your treat. Exactly. But for so long, I was like, I can't have it in the house. I can't I can't have nuts. It's just it's a trigger for me. And and I don't I don't exactly I wish I could look back and, and, and pinpoint when it happened. But there was a shift that happened where I just got over it. And I've literally had a jar of almond butter in my cabinet open for months. And I look at it sometimes. I'm like, eh, I don't need that. I don't want it. There's nothing (laughs) in it that's that's going to be fulfilling or satisfying for me. And, And I try to think back as to what what was going through my mind 
when I did turn to the jar of almond butter. And I can't, mm-hmm. I just wasn't, I didn't have the mindfulness then. I can't, it's hard for me to pinpoint that, um, which which is also hard in working with clients sometimes because we're trying to look back at like old patterns, you know, if there was like a yo-yo yep. dieting history, there was just so little awareness that it's hard to look back and see why. Um, unless unless there was like a life event or something very significant that happened at that time. And um, I think it, paying attention now and, and noticing those patterns, the behaviors that keep coming up around certain things are just, just an, easy, an easy place to start for most people. Yeah, I think one of the biggest, for me at least, and what I see with my clients is the mentality of scarcity. Um, So for example, think about it, if you feel as though, and I think, you know, there's a a level of kind of like maybe your upbringing or like, you know, especially my husband is the youngest of four and he, and he, you know, was always fighting for the, like the last piece of pizza, Mm -hmm. you know, so those kind of patterns early in life make you feel as if food is finite. So you kind of feel like you need to get it, you know, so that a lot of that stuff we have going on. And then also kind of like our meal plan culture perpetuates this mentality of at some point, this food is not going to be available. Like there's always another Monday around the corner mm-hmm. and at which I need to be back on my plan. So it perpetuates the scarcity. So I think, you know, oh, the almond butter, like it's just, oh, it might go away or this is, I can't have it anymore. I know this is kind of like the last supper or whatever, you know, I've heard all these kind of terms. Yes. I call it the Sunday night roundup, right? Well, Monday is tomorrow, so I have to just go around and eat everything. And that perpetuates this sort of mentality of things are eventually not going to be available. They're going to be off limits, so I might as well take advantage now. Whereas, and this is hard, right? Because I think a lot of people coming off a weekend of binging or overeating or whatever, what do they want to do on Monday? They like feel so disgusted with themselves and they're, they feel so bad about what they how they ate that they feel like the only solution is to like cut everything off cold turkey and go back to the super strict plan and start the next meal plan on Monday. And it's the exact wrong thing to do. The exact wrong thing to do. What I suggest, and this is so hard for people who are coming off those kind of binging episodes, but you have to give yourself yourself some nutritional relief on Monday. Mm -hmm. That's really hard. You know, telling someone, you know what, I actually really want you to have a third of a chocolate bar on Monday. I want you to have a glass of wine on Monday night. We just think about those things are just not possible. They're just not in our, how we think about food. And yet those kind of preemptive cheats, as I call them, or nutritional relief is important in terms of the implications of what's going to happen on Friday. How you eat on Monday directly impacts what you choose to eat on Friday. You know, meals don't happen in isolation. So you have to have, because it's that cumulative effect. And so, but that's the hard thing is because we we're so used to things being off limits that of course, if you have a jar of almond butter, you know, and it was really cool what you said about, I can't pinpoint the, the time at which it just started being off my radar, Mm -hmm. but that's the beautiful thing about mindfulness is you actually don't know. You wake up six months later and you're like, oh, I just interact with almond butter differently than I ever did. And that's Mm -hmm. a really cool place to be. Mm -hmm. And I feel that way about, I mean, so many foods too, but also alcohol, which I just want to touch on for a second because it's something that you've talked about in posts before. Mm -hmm. You know, it's something that that you share on in your social media. You'll have a glass of wine here and there. And I I loved you on your uh, Australian tour. Maybe you were in New Zealand at the time when you were, Mm -hmm. uh, had a little wine walking tour. (laughs) I loved mm-hmm. that um, because it is something that's like, you know, kind of like like dessert is. It's like a forbidden thing that, you know, yep. is going to make or break anyone's progress and it can derail you. And it's it's sort of the, the again, the all or nothing approach. There's, yep. no, there's no place to fit it in. And I don't think that's true. And, and it's something that, you know, I did early on too, which was very hard in my early 20s. Uh, that's when all my friends were partying and having a good time and drinking. And um, I would do a lot of fake drinking because I didn't know how to make it work. <laughs> I fake drank a lot. Yeah. I got really good at it um, mm-hmm. <laughs> because I didn't know how to make it work. And I didn't know how to right. control it if I was going to try it. And it's yeah. to the point now where I'm almost experimenting with how much can I get away with? <laughs> yeah. and And still... Well, you know- be in control of things, you know, we have a good time, um, not feel like, you know, everyone, I'm at a social event and everyone's looking at me like, well, why don't you have a drink? I can enjoy it. And, and it is what it is. And nothing more beyond that. Yeah, no, that's a great point. You know, I talk, 
I do talk a lot about alcohol because for me, it's, you know, for better, or for worse, it is something that gives me some nutritional relief or it mm-hmm. gives, it takes the edge off. Like, I mean, not really like the edge off my life, just more like, you know, I know if I have a glass of wine that I'll it'll, like, even just a single glass of wine with dinner, I know that the next day I'll feel a little bit more satisfied. And so we have to kind of pick and choose mm-hmm. our battles in a sense. We can't necessarily in my mind do the wine and the bread basket and the burger and fries and the dessert like pick and choose your battle so be discerning that's a mindfulness technique too like be discerning what's your thing but I talk a lot about wine because for me it's an example of kind of a preemptive cheat with things like dark chocolate or frozen Mm -hmm. yogurt or even bacon and avocado and dietary fats things like that you know but I don't pretend that that wine is a health food. You know, I don't right. pretend like, oh, you're getting healthier by drinking or it's going to help you lose weight. I'm I'm totally, uh, you know, realistic about the whole thing. I'm not trying to say that if you drink wine, you will lose weight or like somehow you will, everything will be fine. It's just that for you, that might, it's kind of giving women permission to have a single glass most nights of the week mm-hmm. and realize that because they're doing that, it's that there's utility in that. It's funny. I always talk about wine or even like something like ranch dressing can be a <laughs> compliance tool, right? Like in a sense, it's a kind of a condiment. It's like a nutritional it's condiment true. that can be a compliance tool. That sounds so weird to say. I would never have said that five years ago, but now it's like, I know if I have a glass of wine, I'm going to be better off come Friday, mm-hmm. not binge. It's funny. It's true. It's, that's actually how I yeah. feel about ba- about bacon. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I love it. It's it's satisfying. It makes like there's there's so many wonderful things that bacon offers in, in terms of flavor and cooking. And I, I love to cook. So, you know, being able to experiment like that um, just gives me a sense of like enjoyment in what I'm doing. And I get excited about my meals um, when yep. bacon's involved, especially. But but, you know, feeling satisfied with that being included is, is sort of along the same lines. It's huge. You know, when I see examples, you know, so the question is like, okay, how do you feel satisfied without going overboard, right? That's a lot of people say, well, you know, I could be satisfied eating a dozen donuts. And you're like, actually, could you? Right. I think if you think about it, stuffing yourself isn't satisfying either, right? It's like that. it's more of that middle ground. So for example, if you find yourself kind of coming off a binge or overindulging and feeling like, oh, I just need to clean it up. And then you have like, I don't know, an egg white omelet with like asparagus, (laughs) And you're like, I'm back on track. I think you and I both know, Alex, that like if if that's what the person's eating, they're probably going to be eating a pint of ice cream later because that's just not enough. It's not satisfying enough. So you need to add something to that. So what I teach in my course, Four Week Food Obsession Bootcamp, is how do you look at a meal and increase the satisfaction factor of that meal to, to get it to being more of a middle choice, more of a moderate choice. So add, I don't know, add butter to your vegetables, sprinkle mm-hmm. some cheese on top, you know, have it, a yolk or two, like add some satisfaction to that meal so that you feel uh, like, you know, so that like later on that day, you don't feel like you have had to go without. Because that's the problem, isn't it? I mean, we get to the point of deprivation and then all we can do, it's kind of not our fault. I mean, it is our fault, but like in a sense, it's all we can do to to not binge. And that's totally unsustainable. Right. You're, You're almost setting yourself up for failure in the end by doing that. And yeah, I mean, yeah. one of the reasons that I that I love to cook so much is because back in the competition days when I was super, super limited on these crazy restrictive diets, like I, I had to find ways to trick myself to enjoy the food. So I would f- come up with yep. creative ways of cooking chicken, different spices, anything that got me excited about the meal and, and the process and knowing that I created this, this be- you know, beautiful, delicious meal that was satisfying on that level. And that's something that I've... I, I really was actually a very valuable tool moving forward in putting love also into my food that I'm preparing and, and adding those little things, one thing here or there that really, uh, you know, is, is satisfying for me, that brings me enjoyment, that, that smells delicious, that at the, at the end when I'm sitting down eating that meal, I feel really good about it and about myself. And at, after finishing the meal, I'm satisfied in, on, on so many levels. Yeah, that's such a great, it's such a great reminder because I think a lot of times we'll say, well, what should I eat? What's the best thing to eat? Instead Mm -hmm. of asking ourselves, do we, would we like to eat that, right? Like how about taking you into consideration? I think a lot of us don't even think about enjoyment. We think that like in order to get lean or to meet our goals or whatever, it has to be this kind of very cut and dry way of eating. And to me, we know that's not going to be sustainable if you don't take into account how much you actually like eating this food. Mm -hmm. So a really quick tool that people who are listening can do is kind of look at your daily meal plan. Like if you were left on your, your own devices, how would you eat? Not how you think you should eat, but like how would you eat 
um, on a normal day and then kind of circle if there's any kind of meals or snacks that you kind of dread. I know for me, you know, and you're probably the same, Alex, like when you're doing competition prep, it was like, um, you know, two egg white, hard boiled egg whites and like 30 almonds or like, you know, celery and yep. like celery sticks. And you're just like, oh, it's time to eat the celery sticks again. You know, there's no reason why you have to hate how you eat and be miserable with your food. Like mm -hmm. we're not martyrs. You can add some satisfaction to those meals. So there should be nothing in your daily eating schedule or the way you would normally eat that you dread. So go back and look at how you would normally eat. And if there's anything that sucks, like let's find another option because there are other things too that are just as effective. Right. And I think that the first thing that popped into my head when you when you said that last part is how that also relates to exercise. Oh. Because so many of us, and, and I don't do this as much now because I've gotten over it luckily, but you know, I chose exercises that I thought were the most effective, even though I hated them. And mm -hmm. I had would have to convince myself going into them like, no, this is what I need to do. This is going to get me the results I want. This is what everybody else is doing. So it's clearly effective. And it was that sort of uh, also, you know, a little bit of punishment related to what I might have eaten also right. prior to the exercise. Um, but but viewing exercise in such a different way than I do now and having the enjoyment factor when I'm choosing my activity of choice to do um, and, and having fun with it. And if, if I do, if I try out a different exercise or activity and I realize, eh, I don't, you know, I'm not excited about it, maybe it's effective, but I'm not having fun, I won't do it anymore. And yep. that's, that's probably been just in the last year that I've really played enough with that and more in that the, the activity is fun that I, I feel good doing it, I feel good afterwards, even though it might be, you know, quote unquote, less effective, um, I'm going to be far more consistent in doing it and feeling good about it at the end with, with having that approach. Yeah. I mean, enjoyment is a huge compliance tool, as is for me personally time. Like it needs to be short. At this uh -huh. point, I cannot mentally get ready for an hour long workout. I used to do an hour <laughs> treadmill run every single morning Oh my gosh. At, at like six in the morning, uh, you know, and it's like one of those things that at the time it was like, I have to do it or else, I don't know, my world's going to blow up. But now it's like, it needs to be short. That's a huge compliance tool for me is even if I'm going to do something that kind of sucks, like, like deadlifts or, you know, something that I'm a little bit like, Oh, I don't feel like it. I know that I, I can do it in 10, 15, 20 minutes mm -hmm. and get enough. You know what I mean? So I think the enjoyment factor and also making it work for your schedule, you mm -hmm. know, it doesn't need to be an hour or bust. So it's kind of getting people to see that every little bit does count. And also, if you don't enjoy it on some level or it's not fitting into your schedule, it's going to be completely unsustainable. There's no way I could have done that hour-long treadmill run for the rest of my life. Right. I mean, I would have just given up if I felt like it was either that or a, or a bust. You know, finding what works for you and finding something that you can do sustainably, it's hard, right? These are concepts that we don't really think about until we're like, oh, they seem so simple, like, right. of course, you like you need to like what you do. And I think then we can talk about effectiveness too, right, for mm -hmm. your goals. But that's like anything. So if you're like, oh, I love Zumba and I really love dan like aerobic dance and you do that and you're like, well, why am I not getting more cut muscles? You know, like I think then maybe troubleshooting, you go, well, maybe you should add some weight training to that or whatever. You know right. what I mean? So I think owning your choice too mm -hmm. is a big – because some people just love to run. Like people are like, I like to go out and I like to run, you know, several miles every day. And for me, that's what – and that, to me, that's great. Absolutely. It's better than nothing. And it definitely helps with mood enhancement mm -hmm. and, you know, cardiovascular capacity, but don't think that it's going to bring you like, you know, cut delts and, you know, add, you know, right. add muscle to your glutes. You know what I mean? So I think there's some troubleshooting in there too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, and that just comes back to what you had said in one of actually the quotes uh, of yours that I wrote down earlier is, is being a little less perfect to be a little more consistent and yes. those that are consistent are, are the happiest. <laughs> they're, they're enjoying their lives and they're far more successful in whatever that might look like. Yeah. And you know what? I think there is something too. We talk about like goal setting and, and things like that. And I think that's probably fine. I think it's probably better than like, but I think eventually once you've kind of gotten to a place where this is just your lifestyle now, or this is just your process, you fall in love with every day, you don't, you're not always looking to an end goal. You're not always looking to a thing that's going to happen in three months or mm -hmm. what's going to happen next year. You're kind of like, I just like right now. So I don't need 
to constantly be where I think it's nice to maybe start a new skill or try CrossFit or, you know, try some new things. Like, for example, I know I need to go to yoga. I'm like really just trying not to, but I know I need to. <laughs> but like, you know, it's one of those things that like you might, you don't really have to have a goal all the time. And I think once you get to that point, I think that's kind of like the magic formula. I think that's kind of like the sweet spot when you get to a point where you're just like, I actually just like my process. I actually don't need to change anything up. I don't need a goal to feel like I, to stay motivated. You're just motivated because you enjoy your whole process and you enjoy what you're doing. Well, and you, and you learn something every day then. I mean, every day is a win. Every day is something that you can look forward to. And, and yeah. that does have a, have a positive result in it. Um, you know, whether it's like, oh, I, you know, did this workout today and like I felt a little bit stronger in my plank. Like there are so many little wins along the way that, I mean, I, I also try to, to get clients to pay attention to like, yeah, okay, you might have a long-term goal, but what are we learning every day? By the end of the week, yep. what, what, are, you know, how did you feel about what you, what, what choices you made and if there was anything along the way that, you know, could have been better. We, we know now you acknowledge it, you learn from it, you move on. Tomorrow's a new day. And yep. I, I, I work with I, a, a few competitors and it's not something that I want to take on full time because either it's, it's a lot of work to work with competitors. Uh, just <laughs> having, having been one, just um, we're, we're quite yeah. high maintenance, uh, <laughs> yep. but those who I take on, I mean, I put them through such a intense, like a questioning process about what the motives are behind that goal of competing. And if at any point I get a sense of, of their motives being, you know, self-destructive or uh, something that could mm -hmm. potentially lead them down a, a bad path, I, I, I'll say no. And if, and if they still want to do it, I'm like, okay, well, go find somebody else to help you with that because that's not what I'm here for. Like if you, if you want to do that, we can make that happen so long as you know that it's the process that we're learning about, the process that we're going to be going through, the things that you need to become aware of that we'll work together on to pay attention to every day as we get close to that. And it's all of the little wins along the way that I want you to focus on. And I actually have a an assignment that I give them in the weeks leading up and that's to journal about what they've learned about themselves along the way and they might do that you know throughout the whole process but especially as they get close to that show as a reminder of okay the show's coming and and this was you know maybe the ultimate goal but whatever happens that day Matt doesn't matter because these are the things we've paid attention to this is what we've learned about ourselves and these are the tools we'll have moving forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think it's one of those things that, you know, I remember back when I was training a lot of competitors, you know, you do your best. And I think, you know, I kind of still have a little bit of regret in terms of, I mean, of course, when you learn, you do better. But, um, you know, I think that I was doing a lot of competitors a disservice at the beginning because it wasn't, I mean, it was always like, he, you know, we always had a post competition plan and we had these, you know, we had things in place and we expectations and all of that stuff trying to manage it. But bottom line is people are losing a lot of weight really fast. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, it's just, unless you're going to do like a year long prep and slowly, I mean, that would be great. You can lose 20 pounds over a year. That would be amazing. But we had girls who were losing like 30 pounds, 40 pounds, right. 50, I mean, like insane stuff that of course they're going to rebound, you know? And I think right. if I could go back, I would have been way more discerning in that way. Um, you know, but again, you live and you learn. And my message has changed so much over the last, I don't know, I guess it's been about eight years now. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and you're grateful for that, but it's such a good reminder to stay responsible and to see all the angles. Cause I think you can get so caught up and I just need to look ready for the show. I mean, I'm, I'm sure maybe this happened with you too. You get so nervous that you're not going to be ready. So you go to extreme measures because mm -hmm. I'm going to be up on stage mm -hmm. in a swimsuit and I don't want to embarrass myself. And so there's all those kind of considerations. So you start to do very extreme stuff that you never would before. And I think just the nature of the sport is you need to look a certain way or you feel like you need to anyway. Um, mm -hmm. And so that kind of perpetuates some maybe not so smart tactics and protocols. And I think the mistake comes when you think that that's sustainable or that that's just how you should operate all the time, or that's just, you know, how you need to live now. And it's just not, and I learned that the hard way. It, it takes, I mean, it, it takes, takes going through the, through the, through the process to notice oh, yeah. what the lessons yeah. are. And just yeah. like you, I, I wish just I had wish. had these tools now back then, but 
I'm glad at least that I did it when I was younger and didn't cause (laughs) irreversible damage to myself. Um, Mm -hmm. But there was definitely like that big mental component that for me was the biggest challenge. And I think if I hadn't gone through that, which is I'm sure is the same for you, like I wouldn't be able to now then teach it and help others to get through it. So I'm almost thankful that I did go through the process, um, you know, had the ups and downs, the roller coaster, the the hamster wheel adventures uh, to be able to then teach that to others or at least bring bring the awareness to the issues. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. You know, I mean, I think that mentality is still kind of alive and well, but it's good that I feel like there are now pockets of the industry that are, I think there's, I've seen kind of a backlash against some of these quick fixes and stuff recently, which is amazing to me. I've seen a lot of kind of high profile articles, just like kind of being like, look, just eat kind of healthy and you'll kind of, you know, stay lean and live long. You know what I mean? It's, Mm -hmm. and so to me, I love those kind of messages. And I feel like, um, there's a little bit of a backlash against some of these extreme approaches and some of these like super hardcore, uh, cleanses and detoxes. And I think people are becoming savvy because they know they don't work, at least in small pockets of the industry. So it's really, I really love seeing that. Super grateful for that shift. Agreed. Me too. Me too. And, and just it's possible that all, all of these people who are bringing this to the forefront had gone through those experiences. And it's really nice. I mean, especially for someone like yourself to be so authentic and real and open about your experiences, because it's, it's such a relatable thing then people say oh she did it you know she went through this you know I'm like that too maybe I could do it and and rather than it being you know because there's so many especially on Instagram there's so many you know fitness icons uh who are perfect all the time and (laughs) or seemingly you know in their pictures and in their posts and and it's like well she could do it you know she, she just trains hard and and there's a lot of that you know, go harder, go home, uh, don't quit. (laughs) If it hurts, just push harder. And it's so it's now looking at those, it's so frustrating to see, knowing that, I mean, especially I I always think of of young girls, uh, you know, teenage Mm -hmm. girls who Mm -hmm. I I have two nieces who are 11 and 12. And now they're on Instagram. And I'm scared for what they see, and what they're going to take in what they're going to resonate with um we know whether it's yep. a good message or a bad message and uh it's just hard and I'm, I'm just like you i'm very excited about those who are willing to talk about the real stuff you know the good yep. the bad and the ugly and 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 have it be okay too like this is what's happening it's okay we'll learn from it yeah. we'll move on we're gonna live it's not a big deal it's not the end of the world. It feels, yeah, it feels very vulnerable. I think that's why you, when you look at these people who have built their, I mean, they're really their livelihood, right? Their business based on having, you know, this enormous following on social media because people want to, there's this aspirational quality of like, well, if they can do it, I can do it. And so I think for them, it feels very risky to show anything but perfect eating. Cause I mean, you and I both know, let's be honest, mm-hmm. there, there are moments where they binge and there's moments yes. when they cheat and there's moments when they don't eat perfectly, mm-hmm. but those things aren't captured on social media because there is this need to kind of keep up appearances. Um, and it's unfortunate because it's not, you and I both know that that's not the reality and it is doing people a disservice. But again, it's one of those things that I think everyone deserves the full experiences. So as much as even your nieces are kind of maybe going to be exposed to some of that more perfectionism type you know, those kind of profiles and those photos and those messages, in a sense, they have their own journey that they get Mm -hmm. to go through. Like you and I had it, you know what I mean? And as much we can do the best we can, but I do think there's some value, actually a lot of value Mm -hmm. in having your own struggle. I think if someone came to me when I was 24 and tried to tell me, you know, not to do what I was doing, I would have been like, are you insane? Like, no, you do you, I'll do me. Like, you know, it's, so I think that, yeah, I mean, it's like you're ready for the message. What's the saying? It's like when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. It's like yes. when you're ready for that lesson, that's when you'll get it. So as scary as it is, I can't help but think we all deserve to have like the really kind of like struggle town stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's hard. It is. It is. But I thank you for doing what you do because oh, we you. need we need more people like you. <laughs> we do. Well, we do. You know, yeah. 
I mean, hopefully the examples, you know, being set, I think multiple people are doing a really good job right now of kind of showing up authentically and really trying to just, uh, you know, pull the curtain back and show what it's really like, that's mm -hmm. not all perfect. And it's not all sunshine and roses. And I think more and more people are doing that. And at least so with my business coaching program, at least that's what I'm telling my girls to do. So at least there's kind of like, you know, dozens of women who are kind of starting their businesses right now from that place of authenticity and vulnerability, which makes mm -hmm. me really happy. It is exciting. And honestly, I think it's when when you're in that place and you're able to do that, that is sunshine and roses <laughs> because you, you're <laughs> yeah. you're being yourself rather than well, it's right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier than trying to perpetuate like to build an online brand uh, separate from who you are as a person is really unsustainable. <laughs> right. It's very tough and exhausting. Yes. Yeah, it's miserable. Mm -hmm. I couldn't imagine doing it. <laughs> I'm glad you're not. I'm glad you're not. Um, well, well, you mentioned, you know, a little bit about some of the coaching that you do. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit more about that and kind of what your what your next thing is? Sure. Yeah. Thanks so much for asking. So yeah, I do, um, you know, the Jill Fit kind of logo is mindset, body, and business. And probably like two thirds of my business is actually in business coaching for fitness professionals. So women who are personal trainers, health coaches, um, you know, people who maybe had want a second career in fitness, I help them build their online platform, start a blog, do all that kind of stuff. Um, I launch a program called Best of You once a year, which is what that is. And then the rest of my business is just direct nutrition and exercise coaching to individuals. So the thing that I'm working on right now I'm super excited about it. It's actually been several years since I came up with a new exercise program and you can probably relate. Alex is like, mm -hmm. you go to that place where you kind of hate exercise for a while yep. because it felt like a full-time <laughs> job for such a long time. I was so disenchanted and I was like, oh, and just in the last couple of years, I've really started to get excited about a new way that I'm training, which is way shorter, but to me much more effective. So the product is called Tread Lift. Um, and it's basically exactly what it sounds like. It's a dumbbell-based and treadmill-based workout. All workouts are 30 minutes or less. Um, there'll be workouts for kind of like fat loss. There's workouts for uh, building muscle. And there's also workouts for performance. So it's burn, um, boost, and like I said, it's burn, boost, and build. So super excited about that. It's coming out Mar uh, May 3rd. Um, and that's pretty much what's happened for the next few weeks. That's very exciting. Very exciting. And I, I yeah. love the the less is more, you know, short and sweet. Um, and that that's that's very much the approach that I take these days. It's like, what what's the least amount of work that I could yeah. do um, while getting the results I want and having a really fun time? <laughs> and exactly. I love it's it. It's, it's, it's great. Right. It's great. It really is. It really is. Well, thank yeah, you so sure. much, Jill, for joining me on the show. Um, everyone can find Jill at jillfit.com. I'll be sure to put links to your site and all of your social media media stuff in the show notes so people know where to find you and um, I, I love what you're doing keep doing it please and I look forward yeah, to, to for following sure. along your journey a little bit more so thank you so much that means a lot and for sure it's so fun I could talk about this stuff all day so thanks so much for having me I know me too <laughs> all right well, thank, <laughs> thank you everybody for listening to another episode of her body and we'll catch you next time thanks You've been listening to Her Body IOFM with your hosts, Alex Navarro and Andrea Jengel. If you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. We'll be back next time with more information about women's health and performance. <laughs>